welcome to the Catholic Connect podcast. I'm your host, David Scubin. This is a podcast for all Catholics and people of goodwill who strive to live in the world, but not be of the world. First and foremost, we need to be disciples of Jesus ourselves, and then we go forth and make disciples of all nations, just as our Lord commanded. Through a series of timely topics and great guests, we will take that long and narrow journey to heaven together, encouraging each other in faith and virtue along the way. So let's get started. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. I'm blessed to be joined by a lifelong resident of Wild Rose Country, lovely Alberta, one of eight children with a great passion for sports, car restoration, and his family. He's currently serving as a counselor in Westlock County and is one of the youngest elected officials in the province of Alberta that I know of. And uh, full disclosure, uh, as you could probably tell by our last names, he is my nephew, but most importantly, he's our brother in Christ. Isaac Scubin is joining us. Isaac, thanks for joining your Uncle Dave here. How are you doing? Good. Uh, thank you for having me on. Right on. Well, you're actually my uh, my second nephew that's joined me, but I said, uh, I was just thinking to myself, let's really maybe leave that as a trivia question. People can go back into some of the old uh, podcasts or old episodes that I have, and uh, they could probably figure out uh, who that is as they peel through those old shows. But uh, yeah, thanks for joining us, Isaac. Appreciate it. Well, first off, one of eight kids. Obviously, I know I know your siblings quite well, and I know your your mom and dad quite well as well. But uh, tell us a little bit about what it's like to, I guess, first off, be from a big family and and live in rural Alberta for all these years. Yeah, uh, you know, having a big family has its benefits. You kind of have a good uh, support system behind you all the time, uh, especially even too with. Um, kind of your cousins and your aunties and your uncles it's good to have a kind of a close-knit community that you know will will always support you even if you're not uh talking to them all the time uh, it's always good to have and uh yeah I don't know I think uh, my parents have played a big role in kind of my development growing up they always like um valued our faith and and definitely taught me um Christian values and really taught me that my life had meaning, um, which is definitely one of the reasons why I decided to get into politics and and living out in rural Alberta is a is a fun time. I don't know, I like being out there by myself and chilling. I don't know, having the the lake to skate on and no one's gonna bug you. There's so many things living out in the country that that people in the city just don't don't realize what they do. I think there's uh, almost feels like there's a wall around the big city, right? And I know when I went to to college, obviously I grew up pretty close to where where you are and you are, but uh, you know people were uh, a lot of questions when they say you're from you know the Westlock area or the Clyde area. They're like, where is that, and what in the world do you do for fun out there? But there there's a lot of a lot of cool things that might be a little bit different or unique to people that are used to the city life, but uh, still a lot of fun for sure. Now I know you, yeah. you spent a little bit of time in the city as well, but uh, I guess what's the the biggest difference do you find? between living in Edmonton or other big cities and uh, living out in the, in the rural areas? <laughs> yeah, well, the one big difference I especially noticed when I campaigned was there's a, I don't want to bash city people, but uh, country people have a lot of uh, do-it-yourself mentality. Uh, you know, you'll get people who are, you know, half an hour from the nearest highway and sometimes they got to dig themselves out of the road or whatever. Um, and, and especially as an elected official too, uh, the government needs to do what it can for you. But a lot of the times, um, you know, it's just not realistic sometimes for the, you know, the government to come to your door uh, an hour after a snowstorm and make sure you can get out. I mean, it, it would be nice, but, uh, you know, a lot of these people, they, you know, it goes back to our, uh, your mom and dad and grandma and grandpa for me, like the the stuff they did, I can't even dream about doing now, you know, going up the hill at Tawana and uh, horse and buggy or whatever. And, you know, it's, there's still a lot of that around, I find. And, you know, you get it in the city too, but a lot of people, it, it, the city is convenience, whereas kind of the country is a lot more, you sacrifice that convenience kind of for your uh, solidarity, but, you know, it's, it's rewarding and it's hard work. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, there's something to be said for that, uh, 
that rural mentality and it's kind of a survival thing i think you know like you mentioned like our parents my parents or your grandparents and our great-grandparents it was tough sledding living out in the prairies here the question is always like why in the world would you ever settle here why couldn't you settle like in hawaii or something like that but uh you know there's just so much great opportunity here and obviously you know the the seeds of faith that that uh especially uh, our ancestors were, were europeans you know slavic folks that came out here uh, catholicism was a big thing to them and all the the values and the virtue that come with being a catholic and helping out your fellow man and your neighbor and i think that's how that's the only way they survived out here you know in this kind of weather and this kind of these kind of um uh, the, the times that they lived in when it came to even, you know, harvest time and helping each other out. And like you said, if you're in a snowstorm or you get stuck, uh, you know, there was no cell phones or, uh, or uh, tow trucks back then. You had to rely on the next closest neighbor that hopefully had their light on. Right. Yeah. So, and I, and, and I think this issue too, can kind of, you know, we've talked about it before, kind of go back into, um, you know, why you see decreased numbers in churches and even in small communities, you see our, getting smaller and smaller and i think it's because people are kind of slowly decentralizing away and they there's less reliance on your neighbor and uh, people are kind of able to live out by themselves and they don't need to you know go to church on sunday to have that supportive community and and i think uh with uh, the pandemic here a lot of people are kind of realizing that 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 may not be the case and we kind of seen it this spring a lot of uh our our county we couldn't get out to do the roads a lot because there was so much rain so some farmers were doing them themselves and it's just kind of a it's been a good learning experience I think for a lot of people to realize that we're not we still need community and we still need to kind of um, be a good neighbor well that's an interesting point you make Isaac because it's been my thought and belief for quite a, a long time that we we tend to celebrate the large church the large catholic church now um that's not really a catholic uh, principle <laughs> having a, a super parish or a super church when you have the smaller parish you really it gives you that opportunity to make sure you you know your neighbor you know your your brother and sister in christ so you know that if there's there's an issue or they're struggling with something you have easier access to see how they're doing or or where they're at and and you can reach out to them a little bit more you know when you have these these large parishes with literally thousands of families in there uh, you can really attend anonymously and when it comes to um, a, a situation like we're dealing with right now it's uh, how do you reach out to these folks again yeah a lot of people are connected but it's also it's also easy because we know <laughs> we know that the devil is not in self-isolation right now he is uh, the furthest thing from his mind is to sanitize his hands he is out in full force trying to divide and trying to isolate people, especially Catholics and, and Christians and other people of goodwill. So that's a, that's a great point that you make there, Isaac. And um, so let's, yeah, let's chat a little bit about politics and your faith, which is, which is awesome to see a young person getting into politics at your age and, I don't know if there's a statistic on it, but I, I did say that you're probably one of the youngest elected officials in Alberta because um, you're you are in your early 20s. But what kind of got you into politics and got you interested? Because a lot of young people really that's the furthest thing from their mind, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. It's kind of always been. A, I kind of give a brief history, but when I was about. 17 well i'd say even 15 16 i was really attracted to the priesthood actually um a lot of my role models at the time were all priests i read a lot of books about uh saint john vianney and you know uh, i kind of decided at the time i wanted to devote my life to service of others and that was really what the ultimate really the ultimate fulfillment you can get in life is helping others feel fulfilled and uh bring them closer to to Christ. And then kind of when I was around, I don't know if it was 18, I kind of uh, figured that the seminary or the priesthood wasn't for me. Um, at least at the time, I'm always still open. And I kind of, uh, that was around the time when the NDP got elected. Uh, it was just around before that in Alberta. And um, 
I really could kind of see firsthand and, and, and I guess the end days of the Redford government, really the, the mismanagement of what a government can really do to a province and to negatively affect it and, and also the corruption that can happen. So I decided I was going to go into politics then and uh, run, start by running for Westlock County after I got my degree. So I uh, went to school for two years and we had a, our guy resign in our division, which was uh, fairly lucky. And I, I had a month or two there where I was really kind of weighing the pros and cons. Should I run? Should I not run? Should I risk school, um, you know, to run? And, and at the end of the day, I realized running a, uh, probably running a campaign win or lose was more was better experience for me than going to school for a semester so uh i ended up running and uh I, I worked pretty hard and i ended up winning and uh yeah that's kind of uh it's been kind of my goal for years so to get in i guess at 21 was a bit surprising i i would have never guessed i'd be here now but uh yeah that's kind of you know, the reason, the reasons I decided to run was public service and, and, uh, you know, just seeing that there's, there's, there needs to be more good people in government. Absolutely. So you said you took two years of, um, university. Was that for political science that you're in for? Yeah, political yeah. science and uh, economics. Yeah. So, and you know what, when you think about it, I mean, the best education is the hands-on education. And I think there's probably a lot of young people that may have aspirations to, to um, enter the political life eventually. Maybe that's why they take political science or, or economics. But um, I think just that opportunity that came up, uh, it goes again to show that uh, God's timing is not always our timing, right? So it may not <laughs> yeah. have seemed great at the time, but it, it probably looks a lot better now as you look back in the rearview mirror. When you were yeah. campaigning, because you learn a lot from that too, right? You're talking to a lot of people, a lot of people that you don't know. And uh, obviously, you're, you're trying to garner the support of people that have a lot of different backgrounds. What did you kind of learn from that experience of going out and, and canvassing other folks that you, you may not have ever met in your, your life before? Well, I learned, I learned a lot. Um, you know, I, going into um, politics, my view has always been that as a public servant you need to represent the views of the people who elected you they're they're essentially your employers so you need to yeah you really need to be able to take all the opinions that are presented to you and go in and represent these people that's your job um so so going out in the country there there is a surprisingly very broad um you know, base of individuals out here. Some people w told me they would only vote for me if I was a liberal, some people, you know, conservative, even though I'm not even aligned with a party, which is also a big benefit with municipal politics for me, because when I campaigned, I was really trying to not sell myself, but, you know, mold myself as a politician or public servant, as I like to call it, to, to what the people in Westlock County wanted. And uh, that really helped that I wasn't aligned with the party, even though, you know, people kind of ask, you know, because, you know, you get a lot of you get a lot of conservatives out in in rural Alberta. But then you you get some acreage owners out from the city who are a bit more liberal and would like some more services provided to them, even if there is a bit more of a tax increase. Whereas, you know, a lot of a lot of the residents just want to see less taxes. That's really what they want to see. And they want to decide what they do with their money. So it's you know, that you kind of get your typical, um, you know, spectrum of values out in Westlaw County. It's, it's obviously different than the city, but, you know, I, I did learn a lot from people, especially about the history of Westlaw County and people who would talk about grandpa all the time. And, you know, it was, it was a really good experience for me. You know, I think that speaks to the, the principle of subsidiarity. We have different levels of government in Canada and in the United States as well. It's, it's a little bit different, but, but the, the principle and the idea is still the same and, and subsidiarity for people that don't know, it's just a, a principle that it uh, matters should be handled by the smallest or least centralized authority is kind of how it works. Right? So in Canada, we have the federal government uh, and then a provincial government for all our provinces. And then we have municipal government, which is 
where Isaac is for Westlaw County. And I think there's something to be said for, you know, the, the smaller the government, the larger the citizen. So when someone is, you know, saying, Hey, we, 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 it's, it's a big deal for us to, to be paying more tax. And when you do pay tax, I think there's an expectation that there's a, there's a certain return for that as well, because it's people's hard earned money that they're putting out there. And when there's question that maybe that money is being wasted or misallocated, um, that's something I think everybody can and should be rallying towards the common good, which is being um, uh, prudent with, with our money. So what do you think about, about that, you know, subsidiarity, making decisions at a local level and how important is it for you as a young counselor to, to have, you know, not the, the power, but certainly the influence to, to really reach out to people at a local level and not have to worry about kind of a big brother peering over your shoulder. Kind of my view of what, what I should do as a, a counselor in Westlock County is, you know, a lot of people view if you're in government, you're some sort of a powerful figure and you are, but I kind of view it as a, an inversion. It's the lowest job you could have. You have, you know, if you're a CEO of a company, you, you have 49 employees and they all listen to you and you kind of give direction of the company. And, and it's kind of the same with politics, except I, I'm a firm believer that you, instead of you being at the top, you're at the bottom and you're directed by the 49 or X amount of people in your riding and they tell you what, what needs to be done. And so I think that concept is really lost in government today. And that's why I like, like you said, we, we don't we don't see small government that much. Government kind of gets so big, and I think it comes from a sense of entitlement. Um, a lot of elected officials have good intentions when they get into office, but after kind of a year there, there's just kind of this aroma of, um, I don't know, it's very easy to think you're some sort of elite decision maker, or and, and, and that's where government gets big. That's when you kind of um, sway from the opinion of the people and believe in your decision making over theirs and and that's where you're going to see tax increases because a lot of the times people it is their money so so they're going to be more stringent with it and really want you to not raise taxes and to try and stretch to their dollars and as someone who you know if, if if you look at yourself in a position of power you could say well i know better than they do what to do with their money and i think that's that's what happens a lot well i think we're seeing that even just uh in Alberta where we live where you think of how far we've come in something like healthcare where we were even 70 or 80 years ago where our hospitals were pretty much run by Catholics or there was a real heavy influence of Catholicism with you know religious sisters mostly nuns some brothers as well um, and then of course we had you know nurses and uh, and doctors that uh, that weren't necessarily Catholics, but were part of our, the system and doing great work. But now it's turned into about a $20 billion a year spend for the province. You know, I guess it makes you kind of scratch your head and wonder where, where did, when did this all kind of happen? And where did we kind of go wrong almost? It's important to have great healthcare, but when you have spending like that, I think citizens are correct in at least asking the question. And I think that elected officials and even people that work in something like healthcare, and I hate to pick on that, but it's the biggest one right now. It's the biggest issue I think in Alberta is uh, at least put your listening ears on and, and we have some concerns about where all this money is going and what kind of value we're getting in return. Yeah, one in interesting observation I've made is um, usually the number one issue for residents kind of across North America is the economy, state by state, it's, it's the economy in the states. And I'd say it's just probably the same in most provinces. I don't know about Newfoundland and Nova Scotia and places like that. But usually it's followed up by uh, health care. And what's interesting is, you know, health care is obviously about the, you know, the physical welfare of an individual. But we, have, we as a society seem to have shifted so much towards really supporting health care. But then, you know, we've also kind of shifted away from the sanctity and value of life at the same time which which is also a catholic issue so i 
you know, I have trouble kind of understanding that how we, you know, we're all about really supporting healthcare, which is a good thing. But, you know, at the same time, we seem to value life a lot less now. I think it ties into the really the decline of Catholicism. I don't like saying it. I mean, I, I want to see Catholicism and, and Christendom strong, but we've seen the, the decline of Catholicism in our world, but particularly in Canada and in North America for many decades. So when you see that decline, we can see that the, the influence of Catholicism has declined also in the areas of healthcare and education. It, it just has. And there's a lot of good people out there that are trying to, trying to, I guess, mitigate that, you know, this downward spiral that we're in and they're trying their best to, to fight and, and to, and to change things and to help people see the world, I guess, from a, from a Christian perspective, but, but there is that decline that we just we can't deny it. We're just, you know, sin darkens the intellect as St. Augustine said, but the opposite would be true. And we've seen that over the, the years is that virtue would make you enlightened. Virtue enlightens you, right? So we've seen that over the past is when we've had a strong church that societies usually follow and they're, they're strong as well. But what we're seeing right now, like you said, the, the question of the, the sanctity of human life in, uh, in all, all forms is, is going down and, and declining quite rapidly. And um, yeah, it, it's, it's an ongoing issue right now. And like I said, I think it really has to do with the decline of, of faith in our culture. You know, I, and I, I guess it's the question I guess I want to ask it to leading up to this. You know, there's a big thing on ca- cancel culture now, right? It's a, it's a huge issue in our world. And for Catholics to really live in the public life, it's, it's being discouraged by, by the world, right? And we've seen that in the United States, uh, very well publicized uh, Amy Coney Barrett, uh, Supreme Court nominee. And there were many questions asking her if she was legitimate for the role just because she was Catholic. And the infamous um, wording from uh, one of the, the Democrats that was interviewing her was that, it's a concern that you're Catholic because the dogma lives loudly within you. And um, very concerning, though, from a Catholic perspective. Uh, and then we look at local, uh, you know, in Canada here, local um, examples, one being Andrew Shear. Um, You know, some people will, you know, disagree or agree with his politics, but, you know, who could forget the questions from the media about his stance on abortion and homosexuality, trying to get him to say that it's not a sin. And, you know, and really when you say those kind of things and ask those questions to a Catholic, you're, you're getting them to deny their faith publicly and are trying to get them to do that. And I think that's a, that's a big problem. Uh, we've seen that even to a degree with Jason Kenney as well. Uh, certain stances that he's had in the past have been, uh, he's been grilled and, and vilified by people in the media and, and the opposition because of his Catholic stance. But, why do you think it's important and for Catholics to kind of get beyond this cancel culture and this opposition and, and take a stand and, and live in the public space? Yeah, it's, it's interesting what happened with uh, Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, wh- yeah, what you're referring to there, I think it was when she was getting a judicial appointment two years ago before. So she's actually only been a judge for two years, I think, before uh, getting on the Supreme Court. So those were the yeah, the hearings and uh, before that. But, uh, you know, I, I always, just with cancel culture in general, I think one of the big problems is it's people who don't find the conflict within themselves will inexplicably find it in others and try and solve it. And so so you get a lot of people on Twitter and Facebook who, they're no um, better off in life than you are. Or they're not in a position to really tell you how to live your life or what's right or wrong. And, and it's typically these people who are unfortunately now making a lot of the judgments in our society and getting people canceled. It's the people who should least likely be doing these things. And so I think as a Catholic, it's important to not, not only stand up for your faith, but I, I've always been a firm believer in leading by example. And you don't have to kind of, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to go into a room and slap a Bible on the, on the, 
desk and say, you know, believe in uh, Christ or anything like that. But I think a lot of people, they, they don't want faith to be pushed on them. And, and to an extent, you do need to evangelize. But I think the best way to evangelize is to just lead by example, and then people will ask you questions. If, if you're living a genuine Catholic life, um, you're going to live a fulfilled and happy life. And, and that's attractive to pe- people, especially in today's society. And, and that's kind of a way to get people to, to be vulnerable and ask you the questions and then, and then you can answer and, and then it's going at their pace as well. You know, it's not that you should sugarcoat the faith, but a lot of people are, are in a spot where they just kind of need the nudge sometimes. And it doesn't have to be a, you know, a, let's go to church on Sunday. It can just be a subtle nudge. Like, um, you know, Hey, uh, I'm going to a Bible study on Saturday. If you want to come, you know, that's great or whatever. And, and just kind of these, you know, you can throw your faith in here and there. I find in school a lot, you know, I'd be talking to kids about social issues or whatever, because university students will do that. And you bring up the topic on abortion and everyone just by default says, Oh, I'm, I'm pro-choice. And you say, well, have, have you thought much about it? And they say, yeah, I have. And you say, well, you know, is what about a abortion the day before a baby's born and they say well no i i don't think that's good and then you say well what about maybe 10 days 30 days and then they say well no and it's like well how pro-choice are you and and it's and it's not you know if i would have just said well no i'm pro-life and that's what i believe you know you're not going to get anywhere with people without hat you know kind of insinuating that conversation and and you know by doing that i found out that a lot of pretty much all university students are pro-life to some extent and uh you know and and i think that's the way we really need to evangelize as catholics is we have we have to live in the world unfortunately it's not really our playing field anymore unfortunately and we we kind of need to almost take a step back sometimes as as bad as that sounds well i think it's important that uh you know we Again, the kind of the tagline of the podcast too is that we live in the world, but we don't want to be of the world, and uh, we are we are called to something greater, somewhere greater. And I think in order to have to be that example to people, we have to be in touch with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and and in order to do that, we have to live a sacramental life. And I think that's what makes the time that we live in now so challenging because going to mass is. Is, is a challenge in itself. Uh, you know, uh, I think for people that, that are in love with the Lord and they want to live that sacramental life, they're going to sign up for Mass or do what they need to do to go to Mass. But it's becoming so easy to not go. And we have uh, uh, an episode from a few weeks ago with Father Chris Schmidt. We talked about dispensation from Sunday Mass. And yeah, there's a blanket dispensation, at least in our archdiocese right now. But participating in watching Mass on a computer and receiving spiritual communion is a good thing, but it's nowhere near the best thing. And for us to be true evangelizers and truly on fire for Christ and to be that example, if we're not living a sacramental life and not going to confession frequently, not going to receive communion frequently, um, you know, we will take several steps back. I, I know what you're saying by taking a step back, I think you need to times meet people where they are. But, you know, Archbishop Richard Smith said this several times in a lot of talks in the last few years, and he says, you know, everybody listens to someone. And he said he goes to schools, and, and he asked that question to high school students especially. He said, who do you listen to? You know, what podcast do you listen to? What magazines do you read? And his point was is that we're all listening to someone. We're all believe in something and we're all pushing something so if you're not listening to jesus then who are you listening to and um and it's a challenge for all of us i know i i stumble into that too am i always in tune with you know prayer life and with jesus no so when i'm not the question we have to ask ourselves is who are we listening to so in the public space when you know us as catholics we're trying to to reach people I think it's important for Catholics and Christians to realize that when we do get that pushback, that the other side, the other, other folks that maybe don't have the same worldview as us, they're pushing something too. They believe in something too. 
whether that's atheism or Marxism, they're, they're rooted in something that they're pushing back to us. Yeah, I, I would agree that there is some people who are definitely rooted in atheism and Marxism and are anti-Catholic, anti-Christian, anti-religion. But I also think a lot of people are rooted in nothing. And, and that's one of the reasons our society has kind of gone downhill morally uh, recently it's kind of the nihilism it's it's you know when you don't you don't believe in anything you you don't really have a reason to wake up in the morning or you know life has no purpose and you know i think that manifests itself in in kind of the mental health issues we see nowadays and and in the states you got these uh kids who are going and shooting up schools and it's a cultural shift is the problem and i think kind of uh going back to what you were saying about you know we should live in the world but not be of the world catholics i I think there's a a divide among catholics right now some who you know really believe that we need to proclaim the truth unapologetically and uh you know i i think i think about jordan peterson he's not a catholic he he's definitely uh you know he believes in god but he doesn't in a lot of his lectures, he doesn't um, kind of make proclamations about God or anything, but that, that man has probably brought, brought a lot more people to the church than uh, many of us ever will just by using, um, you know, facts and reasoning. No, that, that makes sense. Absolutely. And, and like I said, Dr. Jordan Peterson, I think we look at, you know, even in the gospels, how Jesus said, remember there was the, um, the the apostles came up to Jesus and said, "Hey, you know, there's there's people out there that are healing people in your name and casting out demons in your name. Like, what are we going to do with these guys, right?" And Jesus said, "You know what? If they're not, you know, if they're not against us, then they're with us, kind of thing, right?" You know, there's a lot of voices out there that are like Dr. Peterson, and and maybe that's a maybe that's a little bit of an indictment even on our church too that that there's people that aren't Catholic that uh, they're kind of filling in a lot of voids that, that we've, we've left. And there, there is a lot of voids, I think, that, that we've left as Catholics because we're just, you know, again, Jesus says they'll know you by your fruits. And, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not firing in all cylinders as a church right now and as people. We're just not. Uh, we aren't yeah. living the sacramental life. So you're seeing people like Jordan Peterson and other voices that uh, aren't Catholic. I think of even somebody like uh, Ben Shapiro is very influential, agree or disagree with his politics, but he's certainly a, a, a one of the leading advocates for, for pro-life issues, for example, right? So do you kind of, do you see where, where I guess those parallels are too with non-Catholics and non-Christians making a difference too in the world? Yeah, and, and even too watching Jordan Peterson's biblical lectures were pretty eye-opening for me. Just the parallels he was able to draw and just the basic psychology he can draw from the bible and linking it to you know greek authors and so many historical writings uh, just practical truths he comes up with like love your neighbor um you know um fulfill your meaning and stuff like that and and that's the kind of things i feel like we unfortunately leave out as catholics and a lot of the stuff I, I hear in Jordan, P, Jordan Peterson's biblical lectures, I won't hear anywhere else. And it's because he kind of, yeah, he almost looks at it from a secular viewpoint. What, what would the person who doesn't believe in God think of this reading of the Bible? And I think that's why his biblical lectures were so popular. That's kind of what skyrocketed him to popularity in the first place. Um, so I think, you know, as Catholics, we really need to try and take on that faucet and i think it's it's a bit of the duty of the lay people us um you know the priests and the religious they're a bit more uh, they can give very good spiritual insights but a lot of us like you said who are in the world we understand what it's like to live in the world and uh we we have a you know very good understanding of um the persecutions and you know, everything the average person faces on a everyday level, going to work and, you know, and, and being a witness to our faith. So I think we need more, more Catholics like that to stand up in, in politics too. Even just, you know, we have some good politicians here like Garnet Jenis and Sherwood Park, he's a Catholic and Dan Williams and, 
and and they do a very good job at you know standing up for the catholic faith even if it's not discreetly if they don't mention it by name or or by god but they definitely do by example and and by understanding what the average person uh goes through for sure and, and this is in the catechism too that there's there's always a longing for god in every human heart and i think that you know the for us to unite towards the common good you don't necessarily have to be a a Catholic or a, or a Protestant Christian to to uh, want to pursue that that common good, and um, yeah, it's interesting to to see that there's uh, a lot of different types of, of folks in the world that we can work alongside, and that's on a lot of different social issues, whether that's you know pro life issues or traditional marriage. Uh, you don't necessarily have to be a Catholic to uh, to see that there's there's something worth fighting for with those types of of issues that that we need to to bring to bring justice not only to uh to the unborn and to the elderly but uh you know there's there's a lot of issues that we can stand together on right got an interesting quote you know it's been a long time i've been not a long time but i guess i've had several episodes of the podcast and this is the first quote that i've actually read from uh the great archbishop sheen and it's uh, long overdue but i wanted to share it with you isaac because it has to do with politics and um and getting the politicians we deserve. It says a nation always gets the kind of politicians it deserves. If a time ever comes when the religious Jews, Protestants and Catholics ever have to suffer under a totalitarian state, which would deny them the right to worship God according to the light of their conscience, it will be because for years, they thought it made no difference what kind of people represented them in Congress. And because they abandoned the spiritual in the realm of the temporal. I thought, boy, that was quite the, uh, the quote and quite the, the relevance for what we're seeing in the world today. So, yeah. And I, and I think too, um, a big problem with good politicians not running or, or good people running is uh, obviously the bad people who run. Um, you know, I, I even joke about it all the time, kind of the stereotypical, you know, politicians are dishonest and corrupt but you know kind of i've kind of tried to stop doing that lately because reinforcing that stereotype makes it harder for good people to run and uh then they get associated with the people who are actually in politics for the wrong reasons Mm -hmm. you look at uh that liberal mp uh, who just got uh kicked out of the caucus because she was employing her her i think it was her sister and and she knew it was wrong and she willingly hid it and went to great lengths to hide it for years and from her constituents right so you know it's I really think criticize other parties for doing the same as well from what i recall <laughs> <laughs> yeah and yeah like i say like there's left there's left leaning people there's right leaning people there's there's good and bad people too and you know those people regardless of their political affiliation you know, dishonesty like that hurts people on both sides of the spectrum and it doesn't really matter what party you're from. So I think, you know, the, even for me as a young person, like it, it, it does dissuade a lot of young people from going into politics. I'm a bit more of a chill person. So, you know, criticism is a, a bit more easy to take. But a lot of people, um, you know, some of the conversations I've had with people who are very confrontational and and it's understandable. I mean, they feel like they've been wronged and a lot of stuff is out of their control and you're really the only person who can help them. Um, so, you know, it, it's very easy to take things personally when a lot of people, they just want you to, what they feel is to do your job and to try your best. And I think a lot of young people, <laughs> it, it takes a while to build up the maturity and kind of the, the skin to take a lot of, uh, a lot of that and and good people as well a lot of good people um are the people who are good in private industry and and they can make more money there and be with their family whereas politics it's 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 a hard sacrifice to make your way from your family and so it's almost designed to to not attract the the best people sometimes i feel that way but yeah there's a lot of a lot of truth to that it's like a it's like a vocation right and um you know, I, I look at even Premier Kenny, you know, uh, he's, uh, 
he's single. And um, I think that there's obviously there's a lot of people that have taken advantage of that to, to make up all kinds of stories as to why he is. But I've also heard more directly from him that he looks at being a politician as a vocation. And it doesn't matter what political stripe you are, but uh, that's a pretty refreshing approach uh, when someone is that dedicated to their craft that, uh, you know, they, they want to, uh, they, they, they feel the best way to, to go about it is to live a single life. And we see that in the Catholic Church as we were priests and nuns giving up their lives for something greater, which is, which is a beautiful, beautiful gift that our church has and that we give to the world, whether they know it or not but it is a gift that we give to the world. Yeah. And, and lastly, I got to ask you, Isaac, I mean, and it was interesting what you said about a lot of people just being rooted in nothing. It seems like being rooted in nothing somehow qualifies you for anything. Now, if that makes <laughs> sense, uh, maybe yeah. we could put that on a, on a coffee mug, but um, <laughs> there was, you know, the situation even up in, I think it was in uh, Nunavut where the, uh, there was a, an MLA or whatever they, they call themselves up there that uh, made a, a comment about being pro-life on his Facebook page. And then the, the premier of Nunavut took all his, his faculties away from him, all his jobs in his office, because he said that was offensive to some people. And uh, if you go and, and read the comments that he made, they were, they were quite gentle and, and very uh, well thought out of, but controversial in the eyes of some. So he gets canceled. But I think the other issue is, and I, you know, U.S. politics seems to dominate Canada for, for some bizarre reason. It's, uh, you know, it's like, um, it's like having your barn on fire and pointing to your neighbor and saying, "Hey, you got a, you got a leak in your water hose over there. Let's see if we can fix that." <laughs> um, we've got our own issues in Canada, and when you look at someone like Justin Trudeau, who I know a lot of people, at least in our neck of the woods, disagrees with politically. But from someone that's Catholic, like you and I, he, he is our brother in Christ. He's someone that we should pray for and we, we have to pray for his eternal salvation. And when you see someone that, uh, that he, and he has made several public proclamations that he is a Catholic, but then when you live a life and enforce policies that are so opposite of what people know is true from Catholics, it makes it, uh, it's like a weapon. It weaponizes Catholicism. And um, boy, it really goes to show the body of Christ when, when one of us is, is living in sin and in scandal. It just, it's a poor reflection on all of us. And the ramifications of that in the spiritual life, they're, they're, it's very damaging, very damaging for all of us. Yeah, so, you you, you yeah. think of the, the, the two probably biggest democrats in the states they're both catholic nancy pelosi and and joe biden and and uh i'd say currently they're actually probably two of the biggest enemies of um the catholic church right now so it's exactly like you said yes, politicians so. politicians will weaponize anything they can and it's not just the catholic church like um you know and same with trudeau i would say trudeau he he holds very few catholic beliefs but just because a lot of people would I'd say the majority of people would still say they identify with some sort of religion nowadays. It's a good thing to kind of pull from. And, and you've seen it with all the protests in the States, all these politicians all of a sudden pretend to care about race. And, you know, a lot of them, they, they couldn't even remember George, George Floyd's name there for, for a while. So, I mean, it's, you know, politicians, uh, a lot, especially these, uh, the ones who have been there forever and are, corrupt they they'll take anything and it can be the catholic church it can be the protestants the evangelicals or any issue they'll take any issue and identify it with it to gain political points and i think that's that's what it is for a lot of these catholic politicians we do need to pray for them obviously but i think a lot of them have abandoned the church a long time ago and it's uh it's something they hold on to for support because you as a politician you want to mobilize groups and the catholic church is a big group you you can mobilize so you you think of uh you know nancy pelosi she she identifies as catholic but also pro-life or, or pro-choice but those are two groups she can try and mobilize that and they and they have overlap too so you know these politicians they'll, they'll kind of uh 
you know, they're not too concerned about the truth. They're just concerned about getting people's votes. And I think that's where the big problem stems is it's not that they're necessarily, well, they are anti-Catholic in, in theory, but it's not like they, they want to bring down the Catholic Church. It's just they want to benefit themselves off of their identity as a Catholic. And, and, and that really speaks to the ignorance of, the, of eternal life. Really, we're here for such a short amount of time. And, you know, if we, we spend too much time trying to make Earth a utopia that, uh, that we're, we're seeing so many politicians and other people trying to do right now in this world, um, it's not going to happen. You know, this, this Earth is, I mean, if we're Catholics, let's be honest, it's, it's passing away. We're passing away. We're passing away. So, yeah, I think it's the, we've, we've, we sort of lack that, that supernatural uh, gift of, of faith. And I was reading about um, St. Vincent Ferrer. Uh, I heard his name before. I think I'm going to do a podcast on him. He's one of the most outstanding saints I've ever read about. But he was a guy that would, you know, just show up, whether that was a, a Jewish synagogue, whether that was uh, to, to Muslims, to fallen away Catholics for the most part too, but he would appear to every, and sometimes just his presence would convert people. And, and what would he preach on the four last things, you know, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. That was his thing. And people would convert, you know, by the tens of thousands. And uh, I just, uh, I think, I, you know, maybe we can't convert tens of thousands of people. Maybe that's not our calling. Maybe it is. I don't know. We got to be open. I guess we got to pray for that person to come if, if that's what God's will is. But, I know what we can do and we can certainly change our own lives and we can change the lives of our families by our example, our coworkers and our friends. And uh, God plants you where you are for a reason and uh, your vocation in life for a reason. I always look at it as, you know, the people God wants you to reach out to, he will put in your life. And, uh, you know, you don't need to go and actively look out for them i mean you do need to be conscious of the people around you but i i am a firm believer that god god puts you where he needs you and uh you just need to work with what you're given and uh in a funny tagline i have it's it's um eternal pain for temporal gain <laughs> what you said. Yeah. no kidding that's a good another one we could put in a coffee <laughs> mug maybe eh? yeah. well that's good thanks so much and and you know what i talk about the the sacramental life and we've already mentioned it several times here in the, the podcast but what does it mean to you to, to go to confession to to receive the sacraments to uh, go to mass receive the eucharist how does that fortify and strengthen your life um you know i, I would say it's an important part of any catholic's life for me it's it's kind of been a. I don't know, it's kind of been a practice that we've just kind of grown used to, especially being Catholic since a young age. So uh, I'll be honest, I feel like I, I do need to still um, grow an appreciation for, for the, the sacraments in that way because you, you kind of, uh, as a cradle Catholic, you, you just do them for years and then uh, it, it's just something you do and it's just a part of kind of the faith routine. So, uh, you know, I honestly don't know how to answer that question. Uh, now, I, I guess now with, with COVID and not being able to go to church as much, and um, there's not as much opportunity to go to confession. Like I just had the opportunity to go recently for the first time in a while. And uh, I was really thankful that I had the opportunity. But, uh, you know, and, and maybe I think, I think a lot of Catholics are realizing now that we take them for granted. Uh, which I, I will admit I have for a long time. Um, so yeah, I would, but I would say, you know, going to mass and, and reading my Bible are def and, and reading about the lives of the saints, as you have mentioned, you, you've been doing, uh, just having role models. If you can't have role models in this life, at least uh, find some role models from, you know, even, even there are some more recent role models like, uh, Pope John Paul II and Pierre Giorgio, but you know that's kind of where I, you know, faith-wise, how I keep my faith strong is is keeping up to date on Catholic saints and uh, going to mass on Sunday, kind of regrouping and and make making sure I understand 
why I'm here and why why I am in politics because it's very easy to lose sight of that. No, that's outstanding. And uh, yeah, we definitely pray for all the Catholics around the world that right now they can't go to mass. It's all things are shut in. They can't go to receive the Eucharist and, and going to confession is, is difficult. And uh, yeah, we definitely pray for them. And, and even a lot of our Protestant brothers and sisters that, uh, you know, singing is such a big thing in their, uh, their celebration. And because they sing, they, they can't go to church and they have to do things online. And I, I think that they're, a lot of them are struggling as well. So we have to pray for, for all, everybody, all of us, all people of goodwill. So Isaac, yeah, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, you know, uh, and I appreciate you getting into the political sphere to living a public life. And uh, I'm proud of you because I'm your uncle, but I'm also <laughs> proud of you as a brother in Christ and, and what you're doing. And uh, yeah, thanks so much and we'll be in touch. Yeah, thanks for what you're doing. And uh, thanks for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Uh, I love having conversations with people. So this is great. You know, throughout that interview, I was thinking a lot of St. Paul's letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. It says, let no one despise your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And, you know, I really believe that there's a movement among young people to look for the truth, to look for faith in Jesus Christ, and to live their life radically in whatever vocation that God has chosen for them. And it was really encouraging to see Isaac uh, take the... Um, Take that, uh, that initiative and take that calling from God to enter the world of politics and to live in the public space as a young person. And I think it's, uh, it's great, and I think there's a lot of other young people that are doing the same. And if you check back to some of our, our past podcasts here with Matea Murda and Kyle King, and there's so many good, holy young people that are trying to make a difference in this world. And they're such an inspiration to me as well, and I hope they inspire you to live a life of holiness. Thanks, everyone, for listening and uh, all your messages of support. It's been great. Remember to subscribe and like and share our podcast on any social media platform that you see fit. And again, I appreciate uh, all the, uh, the support and prayers that you're giving me. I'm having a blast doing these podcasts, and I hope you're getting something out of it to edify yourself spiritually and lead you to a life of holiness. Is that is what we are here for. And Catholics, hey, remember that drill. It's, uh, well, it's about that time now. It's Advent. Remember, you got to go to confession at least three times a year, every Advent, every Lent, and any time you're in a state of mortal sin. Don't even spend a second of your life there. God bless you, and we'll talk to you very soon.